Good morning. Today's teaching text is in Ephesians 6, 18 through 24. And I pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, that whenever I speak, words may be given me, given, may be given me so that I will fiercely, fiercely know, make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in change. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Titus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. The word of God for the people of God. All right. Well, good morning again. Um, I ate something weird this morning. I was in the bathroom for a while, and I missed the announcements. Are we, are we doing anything interesting as a church this season? Uh, I don't know. I, I hope so. Um, it's good to be with you all. It's good to be with you all. Today, we are at the end of this letter of the Ephesians. Which we, we, were, we started back in August. Back in August. Do you remember what the weather was like in August? <laughs> it hasn't been too bad in November. Uh, Halloween was, was not great, but it hasn't been too bad. But back in August, we've been in there that long. And here at the end of the letter, the very last thing that Paul invites the church to do before he talks about his buddy Tychicus is he says for the church to pray. Pray. He says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. He says to be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. There's lots of alls. Um, Then he says to even, even pray for him. He says, pray for me. Pray that he has words to fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray. At the end of all of this, those are the words from Paul. Pray. Pray. So, how is your prayer life? The question might be, how's your prayer life? It sounds like a pretty simple question. And it might be one that you ask people or that you get asked, how's your prayer life? It sounds like, you know, a churchy question as well. How's your prayer life? Do you ever get asked that? Do you ever ask that? How's your prayer life? I think that when we ask that question and get asked that question in church, oftentimes we get kind of a, a half-hearted answer. Maybe like, oh, it, it's okay. Or, um, ah, it's, it's not going that well. I wish I was praying more. Um, or, I've tried many, many times to do different kinds of prayer and always kind of comes up short. How's your prayer life? I think that we have a hard time being honest with our answer to that because that question, 
is very similar to asking a married couple this question. How's your sex life? Yeah. I went there. Do I have your attention now? You're like, okay, I'll start listening. How is your... Right? But really, it's that intimate. The question is that intimate. The, the heart of the question is this. We can put this question on the screen. How are you doing at connecting with the person who is most important to you? Okay, that question could be interchanged, whether it's in couples therapy asking about their sex life, or in church asking about your prayer life, or maybe both, depending on your counselor. But how are you doing at connecting with the most important or the person who's most important to you, right? We've been conditioned to not really speak about anything quite so intimate and vulnerable. And that's a problem, both regarding our our sexuality and our prayer life. Um, But don't worry, I'm just going to be focusing on prayer this morning. Because prayer is about connection... And it's about uh, this deeply vulnerable thing, connection with God. I thought, I will take the lead in vulnerability this morning for you. Um, I already had a pillow under my shirt. So, (laughs) anyways, I'll take the lead, okay? Prayer, uh, to be entirely honest, is is very mysterious to me. And also a bit frustrating. And I've been a a Christian for about 22 years. I'm a Christian in in high school. I've been um, in ministry for 15 years. I've I've worked at at five different churches. I went to Bible college for four years. I went and did graduate work for three years. I've given my life to this thing. Now I'm a senior pastor of a church, and I still haven't figured this thing out. This past January, my mom died. And I remember, after putting our son Shepard to bed at around 8 o'clock, I got a text message from my sister-in-law saying, you, you got to go to the hospital. They're doing CPR. So I get in the car, um, you know, by myself, and I start praying while driving to Swedish hospital. And... Um, it was probably very unsafe because I was bawling, <laughs> you know, I, but I was weeping and, and just praying with all my being, all that I could muster up, just pleading with God. Please, please, Lord. Please save her. Let her be okay, please. It was easily the most emotionally charged uh, 
prayer I've ever prayed. It was all of me praying. And uh, that night, she passed away. God did not answer my prayer. I did not get a miracle. I told you I was going to be vulnerable. A week ago, my dad had a stroke. And uh, I was on vacation. And I didn't know about it right away. I didn't know about it until that night. And my brother was on a plane coming back um, from his sister-in-law's wedding at the time it happened. So he didn't know about it either. Luckily, my dad has a girlfriend who he called and, and she took him to the hospital. Um, during the stroke, he lost movement, his whole left side of his body. And uh, they got to the hospital, and before they even did the procedure to get the blood clot out, movement was coming back. And it came back all the way, before the procedure. Then they did the procedure, got the, the blood clot out, put some stints in, and said, we're pretty sure you're going to like fully recover. recovery. And they use words like, we don't see this kind of stuff. Like, you got your movement back before we went and did anything. It's like a miracle, is what the doctor said. Um, Now, here's the thing. I didn't even know about it until after it happened. So, of course, I did not pray for it. I prayed as sincerely as possible, more than just that night, and my mom died. I didn't pray, and a miracle happened to my dad. If prayer is merely asking God for things, for him to do them, then quite frankly, I'm not interested in it anymore. If it doesn't seem to matter for the most important relationships in my life, then what's the point? Again, I told you I was going to be vulnerable. So if you ask me, Matt, how's your prayer life? And preferably ask me that one, not the other question. All I could really say is it's changed. It's changed. And when Paul closes his letter to the Ephesians, he asks them to pray. And as my prayer life has changed, there are two aspects of its changing that were highlighted to me in the way Paul talks about prayer. So I'll share them with you particularly focusing in on verse 18. Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. One way to read this that I've found particularly helpful is that Paul is inviting the church into attentive prayer 
in the spirit. Attentive prayer in the spirit. And first I want to look at the first half of that, which is in bold up there. Attentive prayer. Paul says, be alert. Asking them to pray all the time. He says, keep this in mind. Be alert. Be aware. Be awake. Be attentive. And remember, we talked a little bit about this already in Ephesians. Uh, Back in Ephesians 5, verse 8, Paul says, You were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And a few verses later, in 5, 13, and 14, he says, But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And then in the, in the same section, he, he talks about not getting drunk on wine, not dulling yourself, right? Don't dull your senses. Don't dull your awareness. The imagery is of light and of sobriety. It's this imagery of attentiveness. And I wonder, have you, have you ever thought of prayer as attention? Prayer as attention. Brother Lawrence, who wrote this uh, tiny little book, it's a spiritual classic, It's called The Practice of the Presence of God. He says, My only prayer practice is paying attention. I carry on a habitual, silent, and secret conversation with God that fills me with overwhelming joy. And if you don't know Brother Lawrence's story, this is the guy who was assigned to dish duty. He spent most of his life Washing dishes. He didn't live some fantastic monastic life. He just read books and went on these beautiful prayer walks through the forest. He washed dishes. But by being present to the moment that he was in, he was present to God. And that was prayer. Prayer, of course, can take place in a beautiful sanctuary or at a kitchen sink. Terry Conlon, she she talks about this kind of prayer, and she says that for years, she kept a prayer list of specific requests in a spiral notebook. She said, I kept trying to keep up with my prayers. Even with a genuine desire to pray, my well-intentioned practice held an underlying sense of duty and striving. I had made my prayer life complicated with long lists of needs, specific days set aside for prayer, requiring quiet concentration before I could truly call it prayer. It was very much a solo endeavor. Then she says, what if our attention, our listening, and thankfulness are just as much prayer as our words, or even more? What if generously listening to life, noticing what brings joy and connection with God, his creatures, and his creation, shapes a life of unceasing prayer? And she uses this word, unceasing prayer, which uh, Paul also talks about in 1 Thessalonians. It's 
pray without ceasing, unceasing prayer. And in our verse, Paul talks about the same sort of thing. He says, always keep on prayer. Always keep on praying, I mean. And, and this idea of attentive prayer, or attentiveness as prayer, uh, gives us insight into this. Because maybe you've wondered, how do you do that? How can you pray nonstop, unceasingly, 24-7? How can you always be praying? A, B, P. Always be praying. You kind of can't unless you see it like this. Because one way I've seen it is like, well, okay, so I guess we're supposed to just kind of be walking around praying, not really paying too much attention to anything else, you know. Maybe reciting the Lord's Prayer, maybe something else, sort of bumping into stuff, knocking it over because we're praying, unceasing prayer. But it's quite the opposite. Instead of ignoring what's around you so that you can be reciting some prayers... It's about paying attention to what's actually in front of you and letting that become prayer. I don't, I don't know about you, but I, I want to become better at paying attention. It's not easy. It's not easy particularly for me to pay attention to what's right in front of me. I bought this... Uh, little thing that I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It's called brick. And what it is, it's like a little square. And you uh, tap it to your phone and it like blocks whatever you want it to block. Instagram, you know, all the apps. And it's a physical thing and then you can leave it with where, where, whoever, wherever. It's a magnet. You can put it on your fridge so that your phone, you can't get into can't go on Instagram, can't get on Facebook, can't check your mail, can't do anything. And I've decided to leave it with Sarah so that I can't even, you know, sneak over to the fridge so I can quickly check some things. And it's a way for me to attempt to be more present and attentive to, right, to what is right in front of me. Um, and I'll tell you, it's already been extremely inconvenient. Um, I blocked Amazon on it. And I was at Whole Foods, and if you're at Whole Foods, you can get a discount if you have Amazon Prime, and there were some great sales, so I chose those things, and then I go to the register, and I couldn't access my Amazon app and get my discounts. That's one silly way. There's all sorts of ways, but the the idea is I want to be more attentive to what's actually in front of me, to people, to things that matter and not to my phone. And I've become so enslaved to my phone that I need it to physically be impossible. There's no way for me to get around it. I want to be more attentive in my life. I want to claim my attentiveness even as prayer, as connection and communion with God, including my everyday life, my work, my relationships, all of it. Here's some sort of practical ways that this can look. Because I know the idea of paying attention as prayer might sound very sort of nebulous or, or shapeless. So here's just a few things that can be helpful with this. This can go on the screen. One is uh, you can quiet your inner world to hear God's voice in your life. Now that also is, is pretty nebulous, but whatever that needs to happen to you, like it could be find a place of literal quiet, could be... Uh, anything like that, but that's very important. The second one, this is what I mean by paying attention. Noticing and expressing gratefulness for specific things. 
So you notice something, and you get into this habit, this practice of as soon as you notice it, you can quietly offer thanks to God in your heart. Right? And then it becomes sort of all the time. And I'm talking big things, God promotion, whatever. Little things, like, oh, the pattern on that person's shirt. That's quite interesting. God, thank you for the creativity of shirt makers. Or uh, the color of a flower, right? Things like this. You just begin noticing things and saying thanks, thanks, thanks. And then also, on the other hand, to begin noticing and expressing lament when you experience pain or suffering, either for yourself or when you notice it um, in others, when you're walking down the street and perhaps see a, a, a houseless person and you just think, God, things aren't right. Um, you promised to make things right. Be at work to make things right. And that might require a change in you where you treat that person differently. You say hi, you offer something. But the point is it's creating a stream of prayer, right? You notice it and you bring it to God thinking nothing is off limits. This can be helpful if you're just taking a walk outside. I don't know if your schedule allows you to take walks outside. If it doesn't, try and rearrange something to walk for five minutes from point A to point B and uh, don't have a phone call during that time. Don't put on a podcast. Don't even listen to music. Music's fantastic. But for those five minutes, walk and see what happens. That's a way where you can begin to pay attention to whatever's going on outside of you and also inside of you to hear God. One way is to practice listening well or generously listening to others. Same sort of thing, taking distractions out of the way so you can just hear someone share whatever they need to share and you will just listen. That's very hard to do for certain people, including me sometimes. And then this other one is just inviting God to speak to you at other times where you might not normally invite God to do that. There's a great practice of doing that at night. Like as you're falling asleep, say, God, this space is yours as well. If you want to speak to me, please speak to me. God might show up in your dreams. Uh, or you might just feel like if, if you're a person who goes to bed really feeling anxious, thinking about all, all sorts of things, invite God to speak to you in there and, and listen. And you can even imagine, the scriptures say God sings over us. Did you know that? You could just imagine God, like a loving parent, singing you to sleep, singing over you. And pay attention to how God might show up there. Uh, Simone Vey, who I've quoted before because she talks about this. Um, she says, attention is the rarest and purest form of generosity. Think about that with anyone, you know. Uh, but then she connects it also to God. She says, prayer consists of attention. This is in her book, Waiting for God. She says, it is the orientation of all the attention of which the soul is capable toward God. The quality of our attention counts for much in the quality of prayer. If you're very distracted, you probably aren't going to enjoy prayer very much. Uh, This is what she's saying. The quality of which we're able to give our attention to God counts in the quality of prayer, if you're going to actually enjoy it. And you probably won't go back and keep doing it if you don't enjoy it. So why does attention matter in prayer? There's probably lots of reasons, but um, I'll, I'll just share a little example. So let's say you're asking God uh, <clears throat> for a raise. 
and say you want a raise. And you ask God for a raise in prayer, but your mind is really wondering about the baseball game or the, or the laundry or whatever needs to get done, who's going to do dinner. Um, now, if your mind's wandering like that, does that mean God won't grant the prayer based on that? Like, if you've been really attentionally asking God for the thing, would he then have given it? Would it have convinced him more? I don't think so. I mean, I don't fully know the mind of God, but I don't think so. Uh, as I said in the car, on the way to the hospital, all of my attention was in that prayer for my mom's healing. So I, I don't think that it's about that. So then why? Why does it matter? And I think the problem comes when we think of prayer in a transactional way. You know what I mean by that? You, you ask God for something and he gives it. That's what prayer is. And this is how a lot of us think about prayer, transactionally. I ask for it, I get it. And if this is all that prayer is, then perhaps attention wouldn't matter that much. Because think about a transaction at McDonald's. Now there's kiosks anyways, so... But say you're talking to an actual person. You're talking to an actual person at McDonald's, and you don't really... You're not that attentive. You're kind of like, yeah, can I get... um, uh, Sorry, hold on. Can I... Oh, yeah. Wait, hello? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll be there. Okay. Um, can I get... Hold on. Uh, yeah, two, two Big Macs. Uh, hold on. Hello? What, you know, you get it. You, you ask for the order. Now, the person might be pretty upset, but they're going to give you your order if you pay, no matter how attention... You know, like, no matter what that interaction was like, you pay the money, you say the thing that you want, they give it to you. That is a transactional way of thinking. And uh, for a lot of us, that's sometimes how we think about prayer. If I say the right things, or do the right things, or sort of pay for it the right way, whether it's through behaving, right, giving enough to charities or to church, then I should get what I've asked for. It's a transaction. And attention doesn't matter much in a transaction. It really doesn't. Make sure that you really mean what you want. You'll get your wish granted. You know. Uh, we rewatched <laughs> around Halloween the cheesy Disney movie Halloween Town, which was a movie when, when I was a kid. And Marnie who is like, uh, I don't know, in junior high, she realizes, she's just a normal girl, she realizes that her grandmother is a witch. And then she realizes that she's a witch. And so she's kind of like a witch in training, and she uh, learns some spells, which of course are probably in Latin. She kind of half-heartedly says them because she can't really pronounce it. Like, you know, infinitum ad nosum alcutrium. And nothing happens. And then she gets more comfortable and, and says it kind of more confidently. Infinitum, ad nauseum, alcutrium. But still nothing happens. Then they're like, you've got you to gotta really mean it and believe it. So then she says it again. Infinitum, ad nauseum, alcutrium. And poof, something disappears or something. Those aren't really words from the movie. I don't, you know, I don't remember. But it's, it's something like that. You know, some, something. 
And I think some of us think of prayer like that. <laughs> like that transaction. Only that time it's a magical transaction. So if I say it and I mean it enough. The problem was I didn't mean it. The problem was I said the Lord's Prayer, but I didn't mean it. I didn't understand it fully. So now that I understand it and say it, God will grant all of it. (coughs) And that's God as a sort of fairy tale sales clerk. Again, it doesn't matter how much attention you give the clerk as long as you say the right words or pay the right price. But you know where attention does matter is in a relationship. It's in a relationship. If you're asking your spouse or friend for something while you're simultaneously checking your Instagram, which, by the way, I've never done once. You can ask Sarah. Never. I've never asked her for anything while I'm also on my phone. Now, if you have a really nice spouse, you might get the thing. Hey, can you, can you grab me some coffee from the kitchen? They might go get it, come back and give it to you. They're so kind. But you've missed any opportunity for a genuine connection with that person. (coughs) Excuse me. Because even something as little as asking for a coffee, you look the person in the eyes. You say, hey, would you go grab me a coffee? That actually is relationship building. Sounds silly. It's little. But it's something real. Attention matters in relationship. Attentive Prayer, in the same way, it actually connects us relationally to God in a way that wakes us up to the reality of God in our lives. Sky Jathani says, The person who learns to commune deeply with God in prayer, however, will open her eyes to see a world bathed in his presence. She will recognize God's image in her neighbor and in her enemy, in the sacred and the ordinary, in the intimate and the immense, in the natural and the architectural. (coughs) Yes, please. I'll take that. I'd like that kind of life. I want to recognize God in my neighbor and my enemy. Wow. Wow. The great poet uh, Mary Oliver, maybe you've, you've read her poem Praying before, maybe not, but it's, uh, it's fantastic, and, and, it, and it points to this. This is how she describes it. She says, it doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together, and don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks. And a silence in which another voice may speak. Attentive prayer. Learning that prayer can sometimes simply be paying attention has been a saving grace to me in my prayer life this year. But the second half of the phrase is prayer in the spirit. Attentive prayer in the spirit. When Paul talks about this prayer, 
He says to pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. What does this mean to pray in the Spirit? For some, it means to pray, for those who are particularly more charismatic, it means to pray in tongues, pray in other languages, or, or a sort of spirit language. And I think that may be part of it. I'm open to that. I've done bits of that. But I think the idea is more so that there's prayer that's already happening, and you get to come in and be a part of it. What do I mean by that? Well, in Romans 8, this other book that Paul writes... Verses 26 and 27, Paul says this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Other translations say more literally, groaning too deep for words. And he who searches our hearts... God knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit, and this is good news, the Holy Spirit is already praying for us. Okay? That's already happening, always before we can even think to pray. Praying for us and those we deeply love. And Paul is saying, you can join in on that prayer that's already happening. This ought to be a big relief for us. This is the difference between planning a party and going to a party that's already happening. It's a very different feeling. The great missionary Samuel Zwemer, he said this, he said, true prayer is God the Holy Spirit talking to God the Father in the name of God the Son, and the believer's heart is the prayer room. So there's this relationship in the Trinity, God, Father, Son, and they're always in connection. They're always in communication with one another. And when we join in on the prayer, it's like it's happening in us. We get to be a part of this bigger thing going on. It's like letting the kids be a part of the grown-up conversation at the dinner table. Praying in the Spirit is an image uh, of union, of union. And and I've said nearly every week that uh, in this series, Paul tells us in the beginning of Ephesians that God's will is the unity... It's uniting all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. And so prayer in the Spirit is a way for us to participate in that work of uniting by entering into union with the Spirit, with God. God, as I said, is is a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So think of this relationship of love that already exists in God. The perfect relationship of love. Praying in the Spirit, again, joining into this relationship that already exists. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When you pray in the Spirit, it's like you're in the current of the river. 
You're in the flow of this river of prayer that the Spirit is doing that's already happening, and you are entering in. This means that prayer is more about participation, joining in with what God's already doing, than manipulation. Okay. And that's important because Paul, at other points in this letter, um, makes it clear that a relationship with God is not magic. And in the church in Ephesus, there was magic happening, and Paul wanted to make it clear this is not that. These are different things. So prayer is about participation, not manipulation. That means that prayer is not about getting what we want, but being with the one who wants us. Okay? It's about mystery, not magic. This has been a gift to me, praying in the Spirit, because it has allowed me to pray in a more, or a less, I should say, I was going to say a more non-anxious way, but that's too many words. I could just say a less anxious way. A less anxious way because when I go to pray, I don't actually have to be the one in control. I don't have to make sure I get it all right. I don't have to make sure I know all the right words or even remember all the people who God asked me to pray for. One of the Christian traditions that does this well is the Quakers. Uh, My therapist is a Quaker. And when I ask for prayer, he says this. He says, I will hold you in the light. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's a a Quaker phrase. Um, It's very common for them, so it it could mean, you know, very little sometimes when something gets so common. But when it's meant... It's quite beautiful. What he's saying is, I'm going to participate in what the Holy Spirit is already praying for in groans too deep for words. He's saying, he's going to hold me before God and join with the Spirit in asking for God's will to be done in my life. What he's saying is he will want what God wants for me. In this way, prayer changes him and me. I've taken on a version of this as my own way of intercessory prayer. I'm not full-on Quaker yet, but I've taken on a version of this that's been really helpful and life-giving to me. Um, you might have noticed, if you've asked me for prayer, ever, um, I will often simply say, I will hold you before God. I will hold you before God. And uh, by that, I mean exactly that. So what I do is I imagine myself holding you, if you've asked for prayer, holding you, or the person you're asking for prayer for, simply holding you with open palms before God, in my imagination. And asking... God to do what God wants to do, which is often healing, peace of mind, love, comfort, care. But most of all, I'm asking that God's good will would be done in your life. 
And as I do so, I trust that the Spirit knows all the details and is already asking for them before I join in anyways. And the Spirit's already asking for them in words or in groans too deep for words that are much better than I could muster up anyways. And this is really freeing. I'm entrusting you to God. This, by the way, is really the priestly duty that all Christians are invited into. This is the priestly role. You offer God to the world, and you offer the world back to God. And in offering the world to God in prayer, it's like you're holding it up to God and saying, Your will be done in this person's life, in this situation. This is how I pray in the Spirit. It's an act of abandoning myself to God's will by abandoning others to His will. It's a way for me to say, I don't get the, to write the prescription for you. Like I'm not some kind of holy doctor writing prescriptions, saying, God, make sure you fulfill that. God's the pharmacist. You know, I write the prescription. Okay, this person, they're going to need... Mm, yeah, would you really help them with that sin? You know, the one that really annoys me? Write that prescription. There you go. God, you're the pharmacist. You fulfill it. I entrust God to do what God knows to do for you. And that's an act of faith. It's also a very freeing way to pray that I invite you into. The burden is no longer on me, but on God. By the time you've asked me to pray for you, the Spirit is doing it already anyways. I'm just participating in it, and that's good news. I want to end with a prayer uh, that was given to me by one of you. It's a prayer. Uh, The staff prayed this this week as well. It's called Hear Me Quickly by a, a pastor who's passed away but named Ted Loder. And I found it over these last few weeks to be a gift. The words will be on the screen. You can kind of read them and pray them, or you could just close your eyes and pray them. Whatever would be most helpful for you, I'll pray it out loud. Hear me quickly, Lord. For my mind soon wanders to other things I'm more familiar with and more concerned about than I am with you. O timeless God, for whom I do not have time, catch me with a sudden stab of beauty or pain or regret that will catch me up short for a moment to look hard enough at myself. The unutterable terror and hope within me, and so to be caught by you. Words will not do, Lord. Listen to my tears. For I have lost much and fear more. Listen to my sweat. For I wake at night overwhelmed by darkness and strange dreams. Listen to my sighs. For my longing surges like the sea, urgent, mysterious, beckoning. Listen to my heartbeat. For I want to live fully and stay death forever. Listen to my breathing. For I gulp after something like holiness. Listened to my clenched 
teeth, for I gnaw at my grudges and forgive myself as reluctantly as I forgive others. Listen to my growling gut, for I hunger for bread and intimacy. Listen to my curses, for I'm angry at the way the world comes down on me sometimes, and I sometimes on it. Listen to my cracking knuckles, for I hold very tightly to myself and anxiously squeeze myself into others' expectations and them into mine and then shake my fists at you for disappointing me. Listen to my footfalls, for I stumble to bring good tidings to someone. Listen to my groans, for I ache toward healing. Listen to my worried weariness, for my work matters much to me and needs help. Listen to my tension, for I stretch toward accepting who I am and who I cannot be. Listen to my hunched back, for sometimes I can't bear the needs and demands of the world anymore and want to put it down. Give it back to you. Listen to my laughter. For there are friends and mercy and the day grows longer and something urges me to thank. Listen to my humming. For sometimes I catch all unaware the rhythms of creation and then music without words rises in me to meet it and there is the joy of romping children and dancing angels. Listen to my blinking eyes. For at certain moments... When sunlight strikes just right, or stars pierce the darkness just enough, or clouds roll around just so, or snow kisses the earth into quietness, everything is suddenly transparent, and crows announce the presence of another world, and dogs bark at it, and something in me is pure enough for an instant to see your kingdom in a glance. And so to praise you in a gasp. Quick, then gone. But it is enough. Listen to me quickly, Lord. Amen.